This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Welcome to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of bringing Josh Barch onto the show, and we're going to talk about how his organization, Midasin, brings more effective treatments for mental health and addiction. Before we begin, I want to remind you that this show is brought to you by Nightly Productions. If you're ready to discover, embrace, and share your voice in a tactical manner, head over to nightly.productions to find out how they can help you do that and create that tactical content that delivers. Again, that's nightly.productions. Josh, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for having me. Man, I'm super excited about this because you are a heavy hitter, man. You've done some really, really interesting things that are different along a lot of people's leadership journeys. And I want to give the audience just a little bit of information about you, where you are currently the chief executive officer and chairman of Midison Innovations Group. Um, your entrepreneurial career took off in 2009 when you co-founded audiotranscriptionist.com and founded the Denver-based dispensary Doctor's Orders. Following these ventures, you founded a boutique investment firm that operated throughout the U.S. and Canadian markets. In 2014, you co-founded Cannabase.io, the U.S.'s most significant legal and sophisticated cannabis wholesale platform, which is at this point, I mean, you're an early adopter. So at this point, I mean, that's a huge arena. Um, and then you took successful exits from all three of those and moved into where you are now with Midison. And we're really going to delve into that journey of effective treatments for mental health and addiction. Before we really dive into that, though, I want we want to get to know you a little bit more. What's a fun fact that we might not know about your journey? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's a tough question. <laughs> it's a good question, but tough question. Uh, fun fact, I currently reside in, in San Juan, Puerto Rico with my six-year-old son, Maverick. So it's a little bit unique. Um, born and raised in Denver, Colorado, spent 34 years there, and then November 2020 made the uh, made the journey out of the cold weather down to a little bit more tropical climate where I currently reside. So we split the time. For the most part, we're here throughout the year, but we uh, we do spend summers back in in Colorado still. So yeah, I think that's the best that I can do at this point. Nice. That that is fun. I actually have several friends down in that arena that are in the entrepreneurship space. Uh, JLD, huge podcaster, Entrepreneur on Fire is a, a big one that is in that Puerto Rico arena, man. It, he raves about it. So props to you for enjoying the, the sun instead of the cold in Colorado. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I, I want to dive into med medicine, excuse me, I'm going to do my best to continue to pronounce that properly, where I want you to give an overview because I, I there, this is a high level biotech company developing innovative first and second gen therapeutics that really focus on the treatment of mental health and addiction through technology and drug development. Uh, that is, I'm sure, a one million foot view of what y'all actually accomplished. Can you tell us a little bit about the mission and everything you're accomplishing with your organization? Yeah, sure. So you're absolutely right. Midasin is, is a biotechnology company really focused on kind of mental health disorders and addiction. And what we became acutely aware of at the inception of Midasin is one, there's a huge need 
in the arena of really our focus is PTSD and, and, and addiction. There's a lack of effective treatments. And two, that, you know, there is this kind of re-emerging body of evidence revolving around different psychedelic molecules that anecdotally and also clinically in, in the past, starting in really the 1950s, 1960s, 1970, have shown incredible potential. So we, we, we got excited about that. And obviously, there was kind of a capital resurgence of available money for that. And, you know, we assembled a, a team with extensive background in drug development, medicinal chemistry, technology, capital markets, and really put together a diverse, successful team to kind of tackle this. So, you know, now what we do is, is focused on first and second generation novel therapeutics, kind of using different psychedelic molecules as a blueprint, if you will. So when I say first generation, we have a smoking secession clinical trial um, currently underway and, and moving into phase 2B, so later stage, um, that we will be moving into the phase 2B this quarter and or next quarter. Uh, so we just had our, our pre-IND meeting for that with the FDA. It's a partnership with Johns Hopkins. And basically what it's looking at is using our drug, Myco001, which is purified psilocybin, which is the active component of, of medicinal mushrooms or magic mushrooms as, as they're, you know, kind of referred to. We're trying to get away from that connotation, obviously, and, and look at just the molecule and molecular level. But it, it, it's coupling that molecule in what's considered a macro dose, so a therapeutic dose with cognitive behavioral therapy in a very controlled clinical setting. Again, it's a partnership with Johns Hopkins. A little bit of a genesis of that study, Johns Hopkins started this work on um, smoking secession, and Dr. Matt Johnson is the lead PI, over a decade ago. They underwent a small patient population, 15 patients, lifelong smokers. So average smoke time was 31 years. Average quit attempt was five. They underwent a treatment regimen of only three dosing sessions. So they only actually took the drug three times. And the rest was just cognitive behavioral therapy. So interactions with the therapist, both pre and post. And at six months, 80% of the population was biologically verified, completely absent from smoking. At 12 months, 67% biologically verified, absent from smoking. And at two and a half years, 60% never touched a cigarette again. So mind you, a very small patient population, but completely different than what's currently available, right? Whatever, everything that's available on the market for a smoking session, really addiction, is focused on suppressing cravings. It's not focused on fundamentally solving the problem at the root of the problem. And that's what we believe that we've kind of, you know, figured out here. So that study then progressed into a phase two, larger patient population, 100 patients were showing about equal efficacy rates, and now we're moving into a, a phase 2B. So something that we're very excited about. That first generation has limitations from a scalability issue, we, we believe. So it's a very long duration. The experience time is, is you know, four to six to sometimes eight hours. It, it requires a unique infrastructure. The training that's around it is very unique, et cetera. So the second generation of drug and really what we're focused on kind of in the future and now we're developing for the future is looking at those molecules of the blueprint. Okay, we know efficacious is, the efficaciousness is, is very strong. We know the safety profile is very good, but how do we make modifications to shorten the duration, make it more applicable and like the already existing medical infrastructure? So your clinician or therapist that you already go and visit and have a relationship with, how do we make a molecule or a treatment that's comfortable, that that individual is comfortable giving and prescribing to their patient that could, could uh, benefit from it? So that's kind of a, an, an overview of, of the company, if you will.
Yeah. And, and I love the application attached to a lot of what you're focusing on because a lot of the listeners, myself included, we're, we're veterans in this world of uh, PTSD is one of the top things you mentioned. And I noticed that y'all have a pretty interesting partnership um, with combat stress and is focused on that veteran mental health. I have a lot of friends. I think you're connected. You might've already been on his podcast, Jesse Tedisco. He is another podcaster veteran is really exploring this world, opened my eyes to the aspects of microdosing attached to the mental health, even from like sleeping aspects, right. And be able to sleep a little bit, uh, more effectively and really even kill different aspects. Can you talk to us a little bit about the impact you're having in that veteran world with this type of application? Yeah, sure. So, so Dr. Rakesh Jetley is our chief medical officer. He's a veteran. He spent 31 years in the Canadian Armed Forces. The last 10, he was the chief of psychiatry for the Canadian Armed Forces. So, you know, obviously intimately involved through NATO treating PTSD and, and other indications as well that's prevalent in, in the veterans population. And he's acutely aware, and I think all of the colleagues that we've been able to bring in from the VA, the United States, the DOD, from, you know, kind of the analogous bodies in, in various governmental agencies and militaries that we've been able to attract to our team and kind of join our mission, they all 100% agree that just the available treatments right now for veterans are just not effective. You know, our focus on veterans is not only from a place in our heart that we all owe it to veterans that they deserve better and we need to help them because they fought for our freedom and there's, um, you know, our ability to, to live the lives that we do is, is you know, 100% because of them, but also because, you know, when we're developing PTSD treatments, the veterans population is by far the most treatment resistant population that exists uh, for PTSD. So we know that you know, if we can crack the code on the veteran population, subsequent PTSD sufferers, such as rape victims, things of that nature, should also benefit from the treatment. So the veterans is a starting point and our main primary focus. However, we do have the full intention of also providing the treatment for, you know, other PTSD. But we've really been kind of focused on, you know, working with veterans organizations, VA in the United States, combat stress um, in the UK and, and kind of the, the prevalent organizations to one, get them on board and understand, and educate them as to, you know, listen, look at the, 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 the evidence of, of what these treatments can do. Look at the safety profiles. This isn't a redundant everyday drug that we're giving to people. This is one, two, or maybe three actual dosing sessions with cognitive behavioral therapy surrounding it. And the durability that we're showing is unmatched compared to any SSRI or any, you know, other drug of that nature. It's mind blowing to, I think, you know, our team and, and probably yourself as well, that with all these billions of dollars spent from the DOD and from, you know, pharma companies to develop treatments, there's not a single drug that's actually manufactured for PTSD. Everything's off label, right? It's, it's, these are depression drugs or things of that nature that are written off label. So kind of the genesis of, of, psychedelics for PTSD. If you look at the work that was done 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, there's tens of thousands of, of clinical initiatives that were conducted. These were done on Holocaust survivors, war veterans, things of that nature. Back then it was this blanket depressive disorder that they were treating, right? There was no indication of PTSD until the 1980s. And now you have subsets of PTSD 
But at the time, it was just this blanket depressive disorder. But when you look at kind of the derivatives, you know, these people are suffering from nightmares. They're seeing things that, you know, this is clearly what we would classify as PTSD now. And they were incredible success rates treating them with LSD, psilocybin, other different psychedelics, work done by Jan Bastians and different professors out of Leiden University in various areas kind of over in Europe at the time. So really compelling and then these psychedelics escaped the lab and went into the recreational settings. There was kind of anti-government, anti-war movement. And they associated, oh, they're taking LSD, they're taking psychedelics. And that's why they're acting like this. Not true. But it, it created this huge negative kind of publicity, you know, work against, against psychedelics. And, you know, they, they told you that if you take LSD, you take psilocybin, you're going to you know, be psychotic for the rest of your life. You're going to think you're an orange and always think you're a fruit and all these weird things that they were, they were saying, none of them are true. And it suppressed and stopped and halted all of the incredible research that was being done. Early 2000s, Johns Hopkins started to kind of bring this back to light and applied to the FDA to, to start to study these. You started to see some work from MAPS and Rick Doblin, you know, developing PTSD work with, with MDMA and then starting to push that forward. And after the good actors and these really well clinical trials from world-renowned medical schools started to come to light when they're showing incredible success rates. Again, the evidence is undeniable and you're starting to see kind of a, a, a sea change and people really starting to get on board. So, you know, we saw that happening. We, we kind of harnessed the opportunity and then obviously focused on what we're passionate about, which is, you know, specifically addiction and PTSD. And I find it really interesting about everything you just said. It's that there are different aspects of treatment that you're looking at where a lot of veterans, and this kind of taps into that leadership mentality, right? A lot of veterans in that alpha mindset, this is business owners, corporate, I mean, you name it, but people that have been through different things, whether it's PTSD or trauma-related or become addicted to different aspects of things. I mean, that's in the veteran world, that's in the business ownership world, that high profile individual wants to quote unquote, take the edge off. And then all of a sudden it's this tunnel. How are you going about reaching out to these alpha types that, you know, traditional therapy doesn't necessarily work because there's a block there, right? You're considered quote unquote weak for finding that type of help um, or seeking that type of help. But uh, I've seen content out there with a different aspect of things where obviously this is a very different approach to solving a problem that some people just don't want to deal with from that leadership aspect. Can you kind of touch on that and explain how you're combating or if you're even having to combat that aspect of mentality towards it? Yeah. So, you know, I think you, you, you bring up an amazing point and you know, that, that is what soldiers specifically are taught their entire life is to soldier on, you know, you're weak if, if you let it get to your head and now they're dealing with these things and they're telling them, go to therapy you know, talk to a therapist and they're like, everything that you taught me before tells me not to let this therapist penetrate, you know, through the brain. And if you look at like SSRIs, you know, in many cases, sometimes SSRIs even make that worse, right? Because they kind of just suppress it and they're not really dealing with the underlying issues. You know, what we see happening with, with psilocybin and MDMA as well, they act in very different ways. We we'll start with psilocybin. But psilocybin basically, you know, what it's doing is while the individual is actually under the experience, not a lot is said, a lot in, in the preparatory phase, but it's not really, you know, trying to dig real deep in that preparatory phase. It's more building rapport, talking about what can you expect? You know, it's, it might be scary. You might experience things. You just, you know, let it go, et cetera, et cetera. 
And then they undergo this really intense, deep, introspective view of kind of, you know, their problems. And they, they, you know, every story is different. Every experience is different. And how people talk about it is completely different as well. But one thing that is, is always consistent is it's just this profound kind of enlightenment, if you will, as to they understand their disease and why they're experiencing what they have and the root of the problem just on a really different level, right? So for instance, you know, a lot of people live with shame and guilt, right? From, from war, like, oh, I could have saved the kid. But when you have this experience and you understand fundamentally, maybe if you went and saved that kid, sure, you might've been able to save him, but you might've lost your whole platoon because you just exposed everybody, right? So you did the right thing. And it's really hard for people to grasp that. But when they can really fundamentally understand it from a different level, your whole entire brain is connecting for the first time, right? Everything is compartmentalized in your brain. We think that's from evolution or there's a, a bunch of different theories. But when you're on psilocybin for the first time, all those barriers are dropped and your entire brain communicates. So it's communicating in a completely different way. And then you have this neurogenesis, right? Which is um, a phenomenon that's very interesting. But essentially you have after the effects of psilocybin, there's models showing upwards of a month after that you have, you're creating brand new brain pathways, right? It's called neurogenesis. And all of that is unadulterated. You can essentially program it to essentially view things or look at things however you want to. So with the proper follow-up therapy, it's incredibly effective. And you have these, these people now for the first time really understand on a different level, you know, what the root of the, the problem is, actually address it, deal with it. And then they're, you know, ultimately they come out in, in, a, in a much different light. MDMA is something that is much more talk therapy, right? So MDMA is something that drops those barriers. So you take somebody that is really reluctant to talk about different things face-to-face -face with people. The MDMA makes them feel comfortable, releases, removes anxiety, and it, it opens you up to being able to share these deep-rooted issues and have a real conversation with your therapist that you never were able to have before. And that really deep therapy that you're able to open up and actually, you know, finally get out what you've been wanting to say for so long is really therapeutic for people as well. So, you know, it's really a game changer and it's really interesting. There's still a lot that we're learning, right, about how these work or why they work in the way that they do. But what we do know is, is that they're incredibly effective and incredibly safe. Yeah, which is really fascinating away from, I guess, what they talk about in traditional medicine, right? They want to give you some little pill of some sort that makes you all cloudy and, and, and clogs up the mind more than effectively opens up the mind. And um, I, I think a lot of this turns into, and obviously you're on this mission right now, of like educating the public, educating the audience attached to what that looks like and how it can actually be very effective. And I know you have a virtual health platform. Can you tell us a little bit about this if people want to access this, where it looks like it's everything from a journal to a calendar and just like lifestyle monitoring that might be a little bit easier than having to deal with somebody face-to-face -face if they don't want to have that conversation quite yet. Can you give us a lowdown on that? Yeah, absolutely. So the platform is called Mindly. Originally, when we developed Mindly, it was to look at some of the scalability issues on kind of patient equity that, that you're going to have with different 
psychedelic treatment. So if you look at the protocols of our clinical trial, the known clinical trials that are being conducted for psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, because the two obviously um, need to be done jointly and are very important. Seven, eight, nine tenths of the equation is the psychotherapy aspect, right? So you have one-on-one interactions, there's no substances involved. Historically speaking, that's been required to be done in person. We don't think that that's necessary because you know, geographically speaking, even when they're commercialized, but definitely when they're in the clinical you know, stage, there's a limited number of locations that will be able to have the infrastructure and the trained professionals to provide this treatment. So individuals that have jobs or kids or families and things of that nature, they can't visit places if they have to travel over state lines or extended you know, amounts of distances once a week for 13 weeks, right? That's not viable. So what we did is, is create a HD telehealth platform that's HIPAA and PIPEDA compliant that aggregates professionals that are trained in the psychotherapy protocols under one roof. So we have over 150 actively on trained professionals that are actively on the application that can provide the therapy remotely. So instead of having to travel, you know, every week, they only have to actually travel for the one experience that has to be done in person with that therapist. The rest can all be done remotely. The second aspect of, of the platform is that educational piece and kind of that ancillary mental health services as well. But, you know, we think that because of a number of factors, but because largely because of the way that psychedelics have been portrayed in the general media for so long with this negative recreational context that we want to get away from completely and need to get away from completely, the adoption of these treatments, whether you receive FDA approval and then you go out to commercialize it, you still have to get people willing to use these treatments, right? And you also have to get the general medical community to think that, you know, your prescribing clinician is going to say, okay, yes, I I think that you could benefit from this. That's an educational piece that is going to be kind of a learning curve. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that we played our part in that. So we put out a media platform that basically is podcast style interviews with the world's top researchers, top scientists, top clinicians that have are leading the charge in, in psychedelics from, you know, Yale, Hopkins, um, Imperial College of London, King's College, Leiden University, et cetera, that have been pioneering this research, having very digestible, understandable conversations that the average human being can understand on what are these molecules? How do they interact with the brain? What can I expect? What works for what? Where can I go, you know, et cetera. So they have, you know, kind of in the palm of their hand access to the information that they need to really understand on a deeper level what these actual treatments are all about and the safety profiles and how they're working, how they're interacting with the brain, you know, what are the long-term effects, et cetera, so they can really be comfortable adopting that. And then last, what we have is kind of the ancillary services that I spoke about. And these are guided meditations um, for sleep, for anxiety, for a number of different things. There's a ton of content that we see as very effective breathwork, things of that nature that are very effective kind of ancillary services that people can kind of use as a tool for their overall mental health and well-being as they go along their journey. So, you know, it's a really interesting platform and it's something that we've worked hard on. It's available in the iOS Android store now. We have over 40,000 downloads, but definitely something that I suggest uh, your viewers 
go in and use. There's a lot, a ton of free content, so you don't need to pay until you really decide that you're ready to. But there's a ton of free content on it as well. And I wanted to take the time to outline, like obviously the expansiveness. I mean, this organization is, I mean, it's publicly traded. It's a huge organization, obviously a huge effort that you're going through as a whole and so many different aspects attached to what you have to accomplish. And you have so much great experience from the previous organizations you had to now where you're you're doing this aspect. What would you say is like, as you're, I mean, you're leading people on such different aspects, right? You're leading investors, you're leading a team, you're really having to lead people through the past the the stigmatisms attached to doing anything in this realm. What would you say is like that, that communication you're using? What's the tactics you're using to like get this in an effective measure across people's desks? Yeah. So I think, you know, ultimately, anytime that you're dealing with something that's considered taboo, if you will, whether it was cannabis or this or any sort of kind of emerging markets, you know, that what people really want to understand is depends on know your audience, obviously. But if you're talking to investors and you're talking to that, that side of things, the numbers is what people want to see, right? They want to see good research. They want to see names involved that they know. So Johns Hopkins, you know, we're working with University of Maryland, King's College, Imperial College of uh, London, Macquarie University. You know, we have world-class partners. That's important because they can they say, okay, these people, that validates it, right? And then again, making sure that the way that you conduct yourself, your organization, the people that are in it are everything that you want to see in this treatment, right? We openly do not support the recreational use of these, of these substances because this isn't a joint, right? The psychedelics are seriously radical substances. While some people can use them and have a good time, there's also some adverse events that are very, very possible of these that you know, if it's not taken in a controlled environment, it's experience, right? It can be incredibly effective if it's used in the right set and setting is what we say, but it's not for everybody just to go use. It's not a redundant use drug. So we don't support that at all. And I think that you need to make sure that your entire organization is sending the same message and that it's the right message that you want to see and that the, the industry, you know, should see. And in this industry, that's not always the, the, the popular message, right? Because you have people that are in love with the mushroom and in love with that. And, you know, you shouldn't synthesize it. You shouldn't change the molecule. You know, shamans have been doing this for a long, long time. That's fine. But if, what they really care about is bringing this and people benefiting from it. large amounts of people that are suffering benefiting from it. The only way to possibly do that is to one, go through the FDA route, not a recreational context, do the proper science, do the proper research, and two, find out how do we improve this? How do we make it safer? How do we make it more effective? How do we make it more scalable? And if you don't do that, then you're just not doing the the patient justice. So you want to make sure that you're telling that, you know, consistent message. As far as getting and and talking to the average human being, I think that really same sort of thing, you know, what we're focused on is changing this, the way that these are viewed and changing the way that people talk about them, removing the ecstasy, removing the magic mushroom, removing the, you know, people dressing up like a Smurf and and saying that that's what it's all about or the Dr. Seuss stuff, right? That's not what it is. This is biotech, this drug development. This is real, you know, very, very, very strong research. And it's also for the first time in pharmaceuticals, we're literally developing something that could potentially be curative. 
as opposed to a treatment. And that is something that is really impactful for us. And it's not a, it's not a, a traditional business model, right? Because pharma lives off redundancy. Pharma lives off people failing and pharma lives off people, you know, getting immune to their product and having to give them more and getting hooked and addicted and all these other things that we're trying to, to get away from. But there's plenty of money to be made if you do it right. But, you know, for us, really telling that message and again, knowing your audience and, and knowing who you're talking to, but what you really want to focus on is letting them understand and what we're trying to tackle. Everybody knows a veteran that's suffered. Everybody does. Everybody knows somebody that suffered from addiction. And if you can let them understand that the people that you care about, there's light at the end of the tunnel to help these people and we have a solution, it's really impactful for no matter who you're talking to, I think. So, yeah, I mean, I absolutely love everything you're saying because I love that you highlighted a huge aspect of this. This isn't like a recreational, hey, let's go party thing, right? There's actual medical use attached to it. And being in the system, the VA and, and, being through therapy and all these other aspects of things, it is widely ineffective, right? Especially for people that necessarily aren't wanting to be on an extended treatment type plan. And don't get me wrong. I love therapy. I I love my therapist. I I mean, nothing bad by any of that, but like the reality of the situation is like, it's hard for people to break out of that, out of that loop. And then there's a stigmatism attached to that as well, where there's a lot of pride attached to it. And a lot of veterans that aren't willing to actually seek that type of help, where it seems like you're really pushing into that world of it being more, and, and I love the educational piece of it. It's being more widely accepted of non-stigmatized, right? Really trying to show that this is a helpful aspect of things. And I'm really curious as you're going through all of this, a big consideration also I mean, obviously, there there are investors attached to this, and you have to keep investors happy. What's that balance like? Because I think a lot of us out there might not understand. Like, there's a whole different aspect of what you're having to accomplish from that side of the world to make sure this is moving forward. Is it really just like strong partnerships? How do you maintain that balance as you're putting out this, like you say, very different than big pharma of like let's make all the money we can forever you're really focused on a different aspect. What's that relationship like? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, the the business case around psychedelics is different, but it's still equally as compelling. And you're looking at displacing, you know, some figures as high as a hundred billion dollars, essentially ineffective treatments. So it's only a matter of time and you're starting to see that big pharma has to jump on board and start supporting companies like us. Again, the model is different, but the treatment is, is still the same, right? As far as, you know, what is to an insurance company, what is somebody worth that you can cure from smoking with a single treatment, right? They'll pay for that. They'll reimburse a big way because otherwise they have cancer bills forever. They know the person's going to be very sick for a long time. It's inevitable that that's going to happen, right? So if they can offset that and mitigate that with a very effective treatment, it makes sense for them to do that, right? So insurance company will fork out large amounts of money for a single treatment, on this as opposed to having to pay for pills and treatments and all these other things that in aggregate is much more expensive than if they just upfront front load an effective treatment to make people or solve the problem now. So, you know, the business case is equally as compelling. It's just a completely different model. Yeah. And I absolutely love that. And a lot of what you're talking about, which I think is the big, and I guess some people talk about intentionality, of what the big game is for big pharma and, and what their long-term is. And a lot of what you're talking about is like truly helping people. Like you're on a mission to truly 
solve a huge problem in society that isn't going to get any better unless somebody takes action like you're doing. I'm, I'm really curious, what is like the legacy you're wanting to leave with this organization? What's the legacy the organization's wanting to leave and that impact y'all are creating in the world? Yeah, you know, I mean, for us, it's, again, it's personally driven. I've done a lot of different projects in my kind of career, right? And I'm fairly, still fairly young, I like to think, 35, but I've been fairly successful and I've, I've built a number of businesses. You know, this is the first time that I've really believed from a passionate standpoint in the work that we're doing because I see the data every single day. And I also see the data on the people that are suffering. And I also get the emails and things of that nature from individuals that are suffering from PTSD, that are war heroes, war veterans, you know, writing us emails saying, you know, how do I, I need help. There's nothing and nothing has worked. How do I get help? And unfortunately, we literally have to tell them, we can't help you yet until the drug is approved. You know what I mean? You can, you can sign up for, for our clinical trial, but that, that's the best that we can do. And that's heartbreaking, right? So the legacy that, that we want to leave is just simply that we did the most that we possibly could to help these people that need help, that have done so much for us that you know, we, we just want to play our part and, and try to repay um, them. Additionally, as it pertains to smoking and addiction as, as kind of a whole, but smoking smoking's killing 480,000 people in the United States annually. Those are staggering statistics. It's killing more than alcohol, AIDS, accidents, gun you know, violence, all combined, right? But nobody's talking about it, right? Why? Billions of dollars being spent on tobacco lobbying, et cetera, that still it's, it's, it's for whatever reason, not a problem. Almost 100,000 of those people annually are dying of secondhand smoke. These are kids. These are family members of people that smoke around them in cars and things of that nature. This is completely preventable. And this is an archaic thing. Like, you know what I mean? You used to be able to smoke in, in movie theaters, on airplanes. Now, like, it's this secluded area that people are smoking in and it's, it's starting to become taboo. Yet, smoking with COVID for the first time, cigarettes, you know, sales are, are back on the rise, right? So, but no effective treatments at all. You know, I think that all of these things that are killing mass amounts of people that there's just a huge dollar figure behind it, that's, it's fine. You can, you can advertise smoking at the halftime show, you know, for the, you know, the Super Bowl. It's just, it's just so asinine and so ridiculous to me that, you know, we just want to, again, play our part and make sure that if at any time along our journey, one of these tobacco companies comes in and wants to suppress it, like we're not going to do that. We want to actually bring this to people and, and really help people so people can cure themselves and help themselves. And that's a legacy that we stuck by our mission and that we didn't falter because of money. Money will follow. There's a huge, huge amounts of money that we can make from doing it right and actually helping people. So the both don't need to be one or the other. You can do both. And that's really what, uh, what we want to do. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I want to give the audience an opportunity to learn more about the organization as a whole. Can you give us the website, the social media? I know you have a ton of, again, educational content out there from blogs to uh, a ton of podcasts that you're on. Can you give us all that insight of where we can find more information about everything? Yeah, sure. So Midas and Innovations Group is the full name of the company. The website is Midasin, it's M-Y-D-E-C-I-N-E.com. That is the website on there. You'll have you know everything from our videos to blog posts, to news releases, to the investor deck, all of the bios on our team. Etc. A lot of insight into to our programs as well. 
there's a lot of content on, on YouTube and interviews that I've done and various other members of our team have done as well. Obviously, LinkedIn, Midas and Innovations Group, Midas and Innovations Group on Facebook, Instagram, all of that as well. So, you know, please tune in and follow along and follow the journey. I love it, Josh. I appreciate all that. We'll make sure we put those in the show notes. And I definitely encourage everybody, head over, check out this new innovation that we're looking toward, really making some impact in, in some very desperately needed arenas. And then, of course, come back for Tactical Friday. This Friday, we're going to bring Josh back to get a little bit more granular into these action steps. Josh, I appreciate your time and everything you've brought to us today, my friend. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.